Hi, my name's Ian Beaton. You're about to listen to everyday people from differing backgrounds, but with one thing in common, a story. A story of adversity, a story of inspiration, a story of laughter, sometimes a story of sadness, or simply a story to make you think. I believe everyone has a story. I also believe that story should be shared. Welcome to So What's Your Story? Welcome to another episode of So What's Your Story? Mm-hmm. And in the studio with me today, I've got an amazing guy. And I know I say that about a lot of my guests, but Nathan really is an amazing guy. I've got Nathan Hall with me today. Nathan is a five-time national champion athlete. He's a practicing physiotherapist and also does strength and and conditioning as a coach. Uh, He's a content creator, a business owner, and a public speaker. His work has given him the opportunity to, to work with many professional athletes, including European world and Olympic champions. But it's so important to remember that for Nathan, life hasn't always been a breeze. At the age of two, his dad moved away from the family. He left school at 15 without a single GCSE qualification. He was also undiagnosed with autism and ADHD, which quickly led to multiple brushes with the law. Today, though, aside from his thriving business and achievements, which are to be applauded, he stresses the importance of introspection, knowing yourself and following your intuition, which are crucial keys to success. Nathan, welcome to Watch Your Story. Hey, Ian. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And I know we've had a chat offline. Yeah. And uh, you live up here in in Cheshire. but But where was hometown? Where was growing up for you? Well, I I was born in Stoke-on-Trent. Right. Um, and I think that was uh, really influential in, you know, the formation of my values and kind of having a sense of self and where I've come from. So I was born in Stoke and then I kind of moved around. I was a bit of a gypsy, really. Like I lived... Uh, oh, down... Actually, did you know Robbie Williams? Well, actually, we went to the same school. Yeah. Uh, did you? But did he's you? older than me. But, oh, I knew, right. but I knew his cousin. Uh, oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. There so go. we went to the same school. Yeah. Margaret Ward. Because those who don't know, Robbie Williams... Is, is from Stoke-on-Trent, right? Yes, he, he is. Many famous people come from Stoke-on-Trent. Reginald Mitchell invented the Spitfire. Um, uh, <laughs> Robbie Williams, Sir Stanley Matthews. There's loads. Wow. Yeah. There you go. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're sorry, all right. Sorry. No, no, yeah. no. So, no, but um, yeah, that's where I'm from. And then I lived um, near London. I lived in Northampton for a while, but mainly I've been in Manchester probably like nearly 20 years. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and then I'm always back and forward to Stoke for whatever reason. Mm. Um, so this is where I call home now, Altrincham. Mm, yeah amazing and obviously we're going to talk about your life story but where, where would you like to start because i don't know whether it's fair to ask you about having having your dad leave you at the age of two and the impact that might have had on you but where would you like to start your story today nathan i think it's a good point um you know i i, I did have a, a stepdad who um for all intents and purposes made sure i was okay and i got everything that i needed mm. but i think um that a step parents and I've been in that situation it's very difficult it's hard to know it doesn't come with a manual you don't know what's right and wrong mm. but I don't think a step parent can ever care for you like a, a, you know um, a biological parent or a biological parent should care for you um, and I think that dynamic was really influential and was significant in the path that I took and many of the problems that I had really because I think that if 
if a boy in particular, and this is you know something that I spoke about um, at the weekend, if a young man in particular doesn't have a father figure, they will find one somewhere, somehow. Um, and I think that's why having mum and dad present, particularly in the home, is quite important in my view. Yeah, amazing. Uh, so, I mean, obviously growing up, um, school, and I'd like to, to 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 get more granular on this about the the undiagnosed ADHD and autism. But what was school like for you? And I, and and I'm I'm curious. I'm really curious later in the story how this all translates because academia. How, how was it for you as, as a school kid? School was absolutely horrific for me. I right. hated every minute of it. Right. Um, you know the the mainstream mainstream school schooling system. I don't think one lends itself particularly well to boys, uh, because as you know, males we're more interested in things and girls are more interested in people. And um, someone who's neurodiverse or who, who who has a learning disability, it's it's very hostile. Um, and I think back in those days, they just label you as naughty or a pain when really you just had a different learning need mm. and it never suited me. I mean, I was expelled from two different schools, three different schools because um, they just thought, oh yeah, he's very intelligent, but he's a pain in the arse and we can't control him. So they just, it would be easier just to get rid of me. Mm. And that's what they did. And, and, and you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the, the, there has been a huge gear shift in, in, in recognising now you know, uh, uh, things like illnesses like ADHD and autism. Yeah. But, you know, how did you, did was there a point, can you remember, that you sort of looked at yourself introspectively and thought, is there something wrong with me? Well, there was always a sense that you're different um, in just in the way that you relate to people and to the world. And um, as is typical with most males, neurodiverse or not i think we mature much later on i wasn't diagnosed until i was like 34 35 really yeah so i'd gone through all this all these years of having all these problems and i just thought yeah i'm just a bit uh, it's just the way i am but then when you get a diagnosis it puts everything into context and like i said men we mature later than females and that's an um that's in part to um evolutionary biology because women are lumbered with the um the responsibility of childbearing so they have to mature quicker back when mm. we were in, in the tribal uh, times women had to mature quicker because they had to take care of young infants and i think we haven't changed that much girls you know when they're in their sort of like prepubescent years they're much more advanced than boys um, and i was like very uh, juvenile right up until I was in my late 20s, early 30s. And then I think something just clicked for me. Mm. And the diagnosis was part of that. But mm. it was a, it was an amalgamation of things. I couldn't think you could really put it down to one particular factor. Mm. I've heard people say that being diagnosed with ADHD and autism is quite a complex process. But then again, for those individuals, it has been quite a weight to bear. Yeah. Can you relate to that? Yeah, you just you always feel like a um, you always feel like a spare part, like you're the odd one out. And what it is, and I, I I coach a lot of people with sort of ADHD and autism neurodiversity, and I say, listen, you're not better or worse. You're just different, and we have a different learning need, a different way of approaching the world and mm. people in particular. It, you know, it's on a spectrum, and you know, I've asked uh, colleagues of mine, okay, well, where does ADHD start and autism begin? And they say. 
do you need to know where it starts and begin? Because it's just on a spectrum. I think I'm more autistic than ADHD, 100%. Um, because I've got quite good impulse control. Um, I'm not kind of all in or all out with things, but I'm a very details orientated person, which is consistent with autism. Um, I'm very um, more geared towards that. And I think when you have the diagnosis, it's, it really gives you an acceptance. You're like, okay, I'm just, I just work in this way that's better. So for example, I don't like big social environments where there's loads of people, but one-on-one, -on -one, like we are now, this is really my thing. And that translates into my daily work because I work one-on-one -on -one with people. So the ability to really build rapport and tune into them and respond to their needs really reflects my own, my own inclination. So mm. that's, it's just really understanding yourself. In my house, I've got, and I said it on this, uh, I was on an autism podcast, um, okay. Thoughty Orty. So that's a really, it's one of the biggest in the world. Wow. And I know and I know the guy and I said, I've got this placard in my house. And do you ever seen The Matrix? Yeah. So do you know when he goes to see the Oracle and she's got that thing and it says yeah. Temet Nosk? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Latin. And all oh, it means oh, right. is know thyself. And I think it was Aristotle that first penned it, know thyself. Um, I heard this uh, bit of philosophy on the Joe Rogan podcast and it's, it's Guy, it's guy um, Richie. And it's the single best piece of philosophy you will ever hear. He's talking about the importance of narrative. He's talking about the importance of separate the internal world and the external world. And really what the challenge in life is really coming into alignment with our authentic self and knowing who we really truly are and discarding what's on the outside. He calls it a crutch. Just taking away the crutches, you know, so, you know, please give me a nice car. Please give me a bit more money. Please give me a bit more status so people will think I'm clever. It's the disregarding of all of that and coming into alignment with your true self. And I think that is really the, the crux of the challenges that we all face in life, in my opinion. And that's amazing. And, and you know, I could go down a rabbit hole on this one because, <clears throat> you know, for me, the journey of self-discovery has, has been throughout my life. I consider myself still a work in progress. Of course. But, but you know, to have that moment, that epiphany of like, ah, yeah. I get it now. Yeah. This is why I'm here. Exactly. This is This is my purpose. So many people don't get that. Or, flip side of the coin, so many people at a young age think i need to do this i need to have this i've got to have this this is this is this will reflect on on my perceived success you know the car the house the money the this the that blah, 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 blah. but then as you and i spoke about offline that puts a lot of pressure particularly on men for sure because we just get lost in in in, in the race for it all yeah yeah what's so what do, what's the thing that's commonly the women commonly associate with status? Money, being attractive. Oh, okay. What do we associate with status? Men, money, power, positions, stuff. So, in order to what we do as men, in order to um, uh, sort of cement our worth, we strive for those materialistic things. And as you, in your own story, have said, you had all that stuff till you actually came to a point, and you're like this really isn't worth it. And you let go of childish things. And so for the, I gave a, a talk um, in Manchester on Sunday, I gave a speech to um, a group I'm called, uh, I'm a part of called Cancelling Cancel Culture. So it's really, it's like the free speech union. And, you know, we have a lot of people involved with that. And from the ancient Greeks and the Romans, they would, the Greeks in particular, they would talk about something called eudaimonia. 
and that was what they would call manliness that could only be achieved through letting go of childish things and striving for independence, self-reliance and uh, manhood. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, I, I get, you know, as I say, we, we could talk all day on this one subject, yeah. Nathan, but this is your story. And where, where I'm, I'm going to shift us to now is coming out of school, no <clears throat> qualifications, yeah. right? So again, we are very similar because yeah. I had very few qualifications. Yeah, yeah. Right, very few. Um, but it didn't stop me. And how did you approach your first, or, or what was your first, shall we call it, real job? Um, so coming straight out of school, I got a job as a, as a, if you can believe it, I was a sheep, I was a, a welder. I got Did a you? welding apprenticeship. Did you? Yeah, and after about, probably I'd say probably about three months, they realised that I was, there was, I wasn't all there. So they uh, let me go and they just said I was uh, no longer needed. Uh, but really, looking back in retrospect, it was a kind way of letting me go saying, yeah, you're, uh, you're not really a good fit. Okay. Um, and I think whether it's been school or working for a company or even with the NHS, I've always had a problem kind of fitting into company culture or a culture because I like to do it the way I want to do it, mm. which is a, a good and a bad thing. It just depends on how you choose to view it and, and how you choose to look at it. I personally think people like us, the way I am, geared for entrepreneurship, been able to shape something the way I want it mm. and make it an expression of who I am. So um, that was... I had a couple of uh, things where I got knocked back and then I decided I was going to start the physio box and that's where that started. And it's been an it's been an up and down, up and down. But now 40, I'm finally at the point where I'm like, I know this is what I want to do. And in particular, creating content and helping other people. And and where was where was this in can you remember where the first fascination for what you do now yeah. was was born? Because obviously, you know, you you were uh, uh, a um a champion athlete yourself. Yeah, at a younger, all right. At a younger age, you, you were pretty good. Yeah, right? it was all right. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Playing it down. Um, and, and then, obviously, you got curious about the body. Well, I was injured. I got injured a lot. Ah, I, I did okay. my first ACL when I was 16, uh, when I was in Korea. When I was training in Korea, when I was 16 years old, and I did my first ACL. And then I had it... Um, I had it uh, operated on... What's not, an ACL, sorry? Anterior cruciate ligament, which okay. is, for people that do martial arts, lower limb injuries, uh, in particular like taekwondo, that's common. It's a common thing. Uh, I think less so now because they do more pre prevention um, and they're very much full-time athletes. They're professionals now, whereas when I was doing it, um, I, w I was the first one in the UK, one of the first to receive full-time funding. But when I was younger, I was just doing it out of passion. And anyway, it was Taekwondo, was it? Taekwondo. That's mm -hmm. what I started doing. And um, I got injured. And then I remember when I came into the full-time system, which is funded by UK Sports, we had a physio. And I spoke about him on another podcast. Um, and I actually, it's so funny how things work out because I ended up working for him years later because <laughs> he's going to this massive occupational health company now. But not only did he help me and make me feel safe and cared for, I just liked him as a person. Right. Uh, his name was Phil Waterworth and he he just impacted me and I saw what he did and I thought I wouldn't mind a bit of that mm. but then as you, as you know you change as time goes on so the reasons I got into it initially and not the reasons I've stayed with it right. I've become a very different version of it than I thought I would be uh -huh. for example I thought yeah, you've got to have this top job in sport. You've got to have all the kudos, become like a little bit of a groupie with the athletes. And I thought that is a sign that you have made it in this profession. As time's gone on, I've realized that 
well, for me at least, it might not be for other people, but when you work, work for a professional sports club or you work for a company, you're beholden to them. They tell you what and when and where. Whereas having your own small business and stuff, you're in, you're in charge of your own destiny. You pick what you do and when you do it. And that suits me a lot better. And in particular, the coaching of other physios and other people that want their own little um, enterprise, I enjoy that a lot more. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and what about the the journey of of the academic side to 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 physio becoming a physiotherapist and and a, and, a, and a strength coach and everything else that you've done because you've worked with you know professional athletes including European world and Olympic champions so yeah, yeah. you know your stuff right yeah you've got an amazing reputation and 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 I just want to sort of try and understand if I can. Um, the study element of it, because this is not something which you just say, oh, we're going to be a physio and six months later you are. You've got to understand the whole mechanics of the body, muscles, ligaments, everything that's connected in there, I'm imagining, correct me if I'm wrong. Absolutely. So that's a lot of study. Yeah. And going is. back to your non-academic background. Yes. How was that for you? Well, I started from zero because I had not even a GCSE. So I remember I was, I think it's worthwhile to note and, you know, it's not a criticism on anybody. I can literally never remember at any point anybody putting their hand around me and saying, you're doing really good, go and do that. I did it all off my own back. Nobody wow. ever encouraged me, not even one time. And that's the truth. So I remember I, I was living down south and I had a little job in a warehouse and I was walking to college every night to redo my GCSE because I just knew I was capable of doing something. I didn't know what that thing was, right? but I just wanted to do more. And if you remember at that time, there was a, there was a lot of emphasis placed on academic achievement yeah, there was. in our days. Yeah, there now, was. young kids can be entrepreneurs as long as they've got a phone. They can go on and start a business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've got a phone and, yeah, and you can yeah, talk, yeah, yeah. that's it. So what I'm advising my son now is very different to what I would have advised him 20 years ago. I am I'm with you. Yeah. So um, anyway, so I had to go and do my GCSEs again. And then I literally spent 10 years in university. I've done, I've done two full master's degrees, but I've got like loads of little um, postgraduate courses. So I've got up the equivalent of three. I've got the, the credits of three. Bloody hell. So I did an undergraduate, a master's in physiotherapy, a master's in strength conditioning and then like for, for instance now I'm in university um, studying to do injection therapy prescribing I've done advanced musculoskeletal medicine so there's always little bits you're adding on but then I've done things like I've done a practitioner certificate in NLP and CBT and to be honest those are the ones that make those are the things that make more impact day to day because I think yeah you got to know your stuff but everybody, all good physios, all good, I see myself more as a coach than a physio. Mm. They all know the technical stuff. Mm -hmm. Most physios, they know the technical and sort of the theoretical things that they need to know. But the things that make the difference are how you relate to people. It's whether you can build a relationship, whether you can build rapport, whether you can inspire confidence in that person to get them to listen to you and what you're telling them. Mm. And I think that's the, that's the main thing, really. So... How did you, I mean, you said that you started your own business, but you'd worked with, with, with a couple of people who you highly regarded. Mm. How, how was that journey of, because, you know, we, we, we see you now, Nathan, mm. right? Highly successful, 
okay? Uh, not just in what you do, but also, you know, uh, doing keynote speeches and, and yeah. training and development for other physios. Yeah. Uh, you've just mentioned uh, CBT and some NLP stuff that you've done as well. Um, but let's 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 try and re recall, because even as you come into the studio today, your phone's burning up. Yeah. Uh, you, 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 you're here, there and everywhere. You know, yeah, you're yeah. like, you're like, bloody hell, Ian, just give me a second. I've just, uh, just yeah. got to deal with this quick email. This is a message, client should message me, blah, 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 you know. And you're way into the journey, right? Yeah. But how was it um, early on? Because people don't see this. That A lot of people see a, 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 a entrepreneur a successful business person, yeah. but they don't see the turmoil, the hours, the demands, the the the, the, the sort of you know the the stress uh, that all of that brings. Can you can you walk us through starting the business? Yeah, because obviously as well, what I'm what I'm what I'm forgetting here, but is really important. Being a physio, it's your set of hands and your you with an individual, right? Yeah, sure. I think the biggest thing for me, and I'm just being totally honest, the biggest challenge for me was I thought I needed to do this stuff to gain validation. So I was never, and only in the last six months have I really committed to doing my business 100% and it's just really took off. But what I was doing was I was mixing it with working for the NHS, for sports teams. I was mixing it. So I was at my, I was split. And the biggest hurdle to get over was the realization that you don't need validation from a position from anyone else outside. Everything you need, you already have. And knowing that I was good enough as I was, yeah, I had to get a little bit of experience here and there. But in all honesty, my practice isn't that different now than what it was five years ago. Once you understand the fundamentals, and I really feel like this is something that's important to physiotherapy because I think a lot of clinicians overcomplicate it. You have to have a really good knowledge of the fundamentals of the basics, anatomy and physiology, pathology, exercise prescription, these sorts of things. But once you've got them, what really sets you apart is how you relate to people because it's very uh, relationship orientated as a profession. So it was for me, it was just knowing that I'd got the knowledge and being confident and having enough belief in myself to knowing that I could do it on my own independently. Mm. That was the biggest hurdle. And it was tough at first. So how did you, how did you come to this point then where and again Nathan you know we, we spoke out of the studio and you and I have got a lot of similarities as as, as individuals and characters a lot a lot a right lot. but but for me I remember early in my my <laughs> my my sort of rise to success really I guess um, there was a big chunk of me that was looking for validation a big chunk and so I can relate I can relate to that so much but you know. You and I, again, we spoke outside the studio and we'll come to this, but it's having this important part that, that, you, that you, you stress is um, having introspection, knowing yourself and following your inter intuition being the keys to success. I think so. Yeah. So was, was that a, can you, was that, a, was that a point where you, did that come to you that, that, hang on a minute, why do I need this validation? Yeah. I'm cool with myself here. You know, and and I know we spoke about faith as well, and, and you're a Christian man. Yes, I am. So, so for you, was there, was there a guidance of of Christianity as well as this 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 light bulb moment? Was there a light bulb moment? 
it all came at the there was a there was a mixture of things but let's look at you like when i met you and i started to listen to you this morning i instantly saw so much of myself in you but i think you went through it quicker than me um you you hit it sooner you climbed up all the rungs on the corporate ladder you got all the bits you got all the stuff went through a horrible breakup and now looking at you doing your podcasting i know instantly that this is gives you more fulfillment more it's deeper it gives you more it, this is a labor of love it, i can see that whereas that job you were just putting on a suit of armor it was just a it was just a fake self which <laughs> which we all do to pay our bills and to and to get what we need for, that, for those that can't see me right now it's just brought a tear to my eye because nathan doesn't know me properly no but he kind of does because yeah. he's just he's just un, un, unraveled me in in a couple of sentences. That is so so true. And and what I am doing right now with this with this podcast is my passion, and it's I passion. do love it. It's and, clear, and, and I feel that I've found a purpose. But thank you for identifying because that, you wanted something that was deeper, more fulfilling, more expansive, and that's the point I have recently come to. I've done my business, and I, I love it. I love helping people improving their lives. But then with my new venture that I'm doing, it's really t it's helping people along their path of discovery and to really find out who they really truly are and to separate out the two. That's what I think will give me more. It's like it's a different thing I'm going to be doing. And um, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's talk about faith if we can. Of course. You know, it's, it's a big part of your life, right? Yeah. And has, has it always been a big part of your life? So I was born uh, a Christian. And then because of my stepfather, my stepdad's family, I was brought up in like a Catholic uh, faith. So I was, I was like an altar boy. I was at church every week. And then like most people, I drifted away from faith. But I think there's always that nagging feeling deep within you that there's something, that there's something else that you need. And particularly over the last few years, there have been some trials and tribulations that I've gotten through that without my faith in, um, you know, Jesus Christ, I couldn't have come through it. I couldn't have come through it because I knew deep down that um, God had his hand on me and that it was all going to work out. I think many times we have our own plan and there's things that we want. Well, God has got a different plan for you. It's just that his plan's better and we mm. can't see it at the time. Mm. And I think that was a big, uh, that's helped me get through so much. Um, because I truly believe that in the world that we're living in now, um, not to go off on a tangent, but I think it's it, we, you're, we're in a spiritual war. I I believe that it, now. I think there's a lot of forces in the world that, although paint themselves as virtuous, I think they're quite nefarious in their intentions. And it takes people of faith, people of principle, to really stand up for what they believe. Uh, sometimes at great cost, um, but it's the work that needs to be done. Yeah, and <clears throat> you know. This, this is on a similar vein to one of the points you've just raised there about this this sort of um, loss of direction almost in society but but let's 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 just let's just talk <coughs> about something which occurred to you uh, sorry happened to you just in the last seven days you gave a keynote speech right I did yeah and and I'd love you to just share some of that with us again you know we spoke about you and I spoke about masculinity and yeah. and, and, and and a female's place and, and not place but female's positioning in the world right now there seems to be a huge mass of confusion around this and for, for women as well who, who feel you know okay right I am going to be you know almost virtually banging on their chest I am going to be independent I don't need a man I am going to be self-sufficient I am going to be this 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 
But then where does that leave the man? Yeah. Because like as men, are we losing our masculinity? Are we are we sort of, you know, because let's drill ourselves back to those tribal days where it was really simple. It was really simple. Yeah. Right. The, the, the woman, and look, this is not misogynistic for those of you listening that, that are listening going, oh, Ian's now becoming a misogynist. No, he isn't. What I'm trying to explain is that as individuals, chemically, uh, our cells, our brains, we're not that different no. from tribal days. We're no. really not. And, and we now have tech, we have this, we have everything else, which has shifted. But a big gear shift has been, what does a man do? What does a woman do? Help me on this one, Nathan, because you can articulate this far better than I can. And I feel like I've, some listeners now are going to start beating me up, but I don't really care about that because this has to be said. Um, you did a keynote. Yeah, yeah. Talk to us about, firstly, not just the content of the keynote, but who was your audience? So I'm a part of a group in Manchester called Cancelling Cancel Culture. And sometimes you can get up to like nearly a couple of hundred people there. So many prominent, uh, well, not many, but there's a few really prominent public people that are involved with it. And they are leading the sort of the, the charge um, for freedom of speech, for all sorts of different things. Um, and it's kind of related to the, the free speech union in, in some respects. Um, so the organiser... Uh, he asked me to speak because you know we've um, we have many debates and he's like you know I think you really got something this is what you could do so I gave the speech and he said you know uh, you know I think you should do it on masculinity from a Christian perspective um, because it's something that you feel passionately about and I think it's something that you have a contribution to make on so in answer to your question even going back to uh, chimps they're our closest ancestors so even before that going back to the times when we were in tribes, sorry, after that. Um, the role of the man and the woman was dictated by evolutionary biology. Women, because females, because they have the burden of reproduction, are less mobile and they're vulnerable during pregnancy. So men or males would take care of everything else. And traditionally, we've had three primary tasks, which is to provide, protect and procreate. And that links into Christianity where... The um, what the what the Bible tells or prescribes to men is very clear. It's that you should provide, you should procreate, you should um, you should lead your families, you should lead your communities. Now, in uh, Ephesians it says you should be the head of your wife, but then in the next term it says, but you should serve her sacrificially. And what that tells us is that a man's role is to lead his community, but. The woman, he really relies on the female to do her job as well. And that has laid the basis for the patriarchal family structure that for one, for a long time was really championed in Western culture. And this confusion is something that only really exists in the West. It's only a Western thing. It doesn't exist anywhere else. Whereby I think these praising notions of masculinity as a provider, protector, uh, a leader of communities, families, workplaces, was replaced with les faire liberalism and i think to really detrimental effects you know statistically suicide is the biggest killer of men under 50 in the uk and throughout the whole of the western world um, statistically boys that grow up in a one-parent family are much more likely to be incarcerated we have lower life expectancy we're more susceptible to mental health problems um and the beginnings of feminism sought equality for women, which is a great thing. 
and some of the most intelligent, capable people I know are women. But what that's done is led to sort of like the third and fourth waves of feminism led to misandry and sort of the the hatred for men as almost a, a fashion symbol. And our role in society has kind of been diminished and demonized. And I don't think that is um, by mistake. I think that's by design. And my whole point of the talk was that as two genders, we're being driven apart because it suits global interests, corporations. It doesn't suit us. It doesn't suit us because both men and women are becoming increasingly unhappy. Uh, I speak to many, I've got many uh, really smart, high, really top of their game female clients. And I, I know I've remarked, you know, you've done so well in your career and in your life. And then I remember one in particular said to me, yeah, but I go home at night, Nathan, and it's just me and the dog. I'm, I'm miserable. Because she bought into this lie that if she forbode motherhood to go and have a career, it would give her eternal happiness and fulfillment, which for many women it does but for many it doesn't. So I think there needs to be a a reconceptualization of the role of men in society and the role of women. We need each other. Um, And I don't think it's a zero-sum game or a battle of the sexes to have that conversation. But we have to be honest in that we've, I think to a large extent, we've been misled in the West. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you. I, I agree more with you. It's, it's, it's interesting. And again, when we talk about different cultures, and there's a massive learning for us in the West, you know, if we look at the East, there's a, there's a big a big difference, isn't there? Well, in Russia, I mean, you know, I don't want to, you know, put Putin on a pedestal because it's a very contentious subject, but it, it, that is an Orthodox Christian country. He's built nearly 30,000 Orthodox churches in the last 10 years because there is a championing of conservative, traditional moral values, i.e. the mom, the dad, and the children, the nuclear family. And there's been an outright war in the West on the nuclear family because mm. they want to break it up mm. in this drive for globalization, for net zero, for kind of a one world system. Mm. And now some people will say, oh, that's conspiratorial thinking. Is it? <laughs> is it just kind of open your eyes? It's all there. Yeah. And I think at the minute there is a clash of cultures in the yeah. world. Yeah. And I think we need to return to the West, return to our roots. Yeah. You can, I, I said in my speech, there's not one person in the room that doesn't want the same opportunities for their daughters to have for their sons, if that makes sense. Mm. So then why is nobody upset if our boys are struggling and getting left behind? Nobody, nobody seems to care about that. It's always, you know, we've got to, you know, achieve equality for women, equality for equality for X, Y, and Z. But I think equality is equality. It's for everybody, not just some sex of society. Yeah. I agree, and 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 what about the um, the interesting points after delivering your speech? Um, there was a lot of people in the audience who you wouldn't have necessarily expect, expected to applaud you, as in not just physically clapping their hands, but coming to you and speaking yeah. to you afterwards. The best feedback I had, believe it or not, was from women. I think women they want to uh, be able to choose the life that they want, but many of them want someone who can be dependable in their life i.e a man someone who can provide protect can allow them that they can build a family with and they're like yeah like i just want to stay at home and look after my kids and cook and they openly admitted that to me and they're like i really i couldn't i really agreed with what he said and as well there's a lot of guys who openly identify as gay and 
the, for me, the core message of masculinity is a, a set of virtues. It's a set of traits as a man. Your orientation sexually doesn't matter. It's whether you are dependable, a man who uh, sticks to his word no matter what the cost, someone that will lead, somebody that will advocate for those that can't advocate for themselves. Um, it's being courageous. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 really interesting, isn't it? I, I, I know people who are, you know... Um, high net worth um i'm talking about females now high net worth status um a good career uh bar, bar 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 but similar to the story of you with the lady with the dog the clients that actually when they are honest with themselves and this comes back to your you know uh being true to yourself and, and, you, and being um introspective um they will openly say I'm lonely as hell. They will. But but their checkbox of what they want in a man is delusion. It's just not real. It's not realistic. So, so for example, girls, they do much better at school because academically they're just cleverer um, and they develop quicker. So I always say, you know, girls are more interested in people. Boys are more interested in things. But the thing we've had in this country is historic underinvestment in vocational training. So things like fabrication, engineering, uh, construction, uh, heavy, heavy machinery operation, even collecting the bins, these are jobs that are typically done by men, right? Women can do them. But my point to a lot of the girls in the audience was, do you really want to stand out in the cold laying bricks or sticking your hand down someone's toilet? We have to give kudos and more respect to these jobs that really keep society functioning as a whole that are traditionally done by men and i think women they've been sold this lie that they have to punch up in a potential partner but women get a lot of these top jobs because they've done so well in the last 50 years you know in, unfortunately a lot of the guys looking that they'll do a very ordinary job that is really necessary to society, but might not be on the same social or economic status as them. So it connects, it, it creates this imbalance. Mm. And I think it's tragic. Mm. Um, I, I actually, um, I spoke to, the, I, I in researching the talk, I was listening to Jordan Peterson and what they asked him to do was conduct some research for these top law firms in Canada because they were um, they were hemorrhaging really smart, capable women, and they were just leaving the firm, and they wanted to know why they were leaving the legal profession. And what he managed to uh, identify was that in around the third decade of life, uh, these women they they underwent something of an existential crisis where they wanted their own child, um, and they once they then had their own child, they found that eminently more fulfilling, and decided, you know what, I'm not going to go back to work. I'd prefer to stay at home with my child and be a mum, and that's okay. Mm. So there was that. And then, you know, I'll, I'll just close it off after this, but I think it's really relevant. I asked for a lot of feedback for my talk and I spoke to a lot of different people. And I remember I asked one individual who's like a, a, a really senior teacher, but she actually completed a master's in um, political science. So, um, and she uh, is very left of center, but I asked her, what do you think of this talk? I gave her the transcript, she read it. She said, well, it's okay, said it's good. But um, if I was in the audience, I'd have a lot to say about it. I said, okay, can you unpack that for me? Well, she said, in my class, I had two boys and they decided to do a Andrew Tate style presentation championing traditional gender roles and the woman's place in the home. I said, oh, okay, so what did you do when they did that? 
said, well, I wasn't happy. I scolded them. Um, I gave them not very good marks. And one of them in particular wanted to join the police and I refused to write a recommendation for him. And really, in getting that feedback, I was able to identify a problem with boys. They're coming through a feminized education system whereby if they don't adhere to the orthodoxy of what's prescribed, they'll be excommunicated, censored and punished. So is it any wonder that a lot of them feel um, frustrated and mm. unseen, unheard? Mm. I don't think it is. No. It's amazing, isn't it? When, when, yeah. when, when, when we really get granular on this. You yeah. Know, it's, it's, and it needs to be spoken about. Yeah. It just needs to be spoken about. We've got to be honest, though, haven't we? We've got, we've got to be honest. <laughs> we've about got to it. be honest. Yeah. That's, that's what it all comes down to. It does. You know, so obviously now, you know, you, you've got your business, you've got <laughs> your, you're doing your keynote keynote speeches i can see that you know from sharing these stories with me nathan this is going to possibly start to push you in a, in a different direction yeah um but what's what's your aspirations what's your what are you manifesting what are you praying for to to for the future for for for, for uh for nathan hall for me it's to be a good dad to my son first and foremost um and then create a business I like, I prefer to see myself as a bit of a coach. And it's the people come to me with a physical problem, I help them rehabilitate, but there might be other areas of their life that need attention. So work, uh, create a business that enhances people's lives, but also other people in my profession, allow them and show them how to be their own business owner. Um, and then I want to, I've created a podcast, This uh, it's called the Beowulf Podcast, it's yet to be kind of released and... Um, yeah, tell us about that because we spoke about that off air and I am fascinated by this. I want to be a guest by the way. You can, <laughs> you, you, I've already got you booked. Um, so it's it's kind tell, of... Firstly tell us about the title, the, okay. the, the, the Beowulf Podcast, what what does that mean, that the, the the Beowulf, because there is, there is a meaning behind that, right? Yeah, so Beowulf, it was a, a it's a, a tale in English folklore and it's one of the oldest, it's you know, nearly 900 years old and um, essentially you have a protagonist who goes out to protect his village and kills a troll. Um, the troll's mother gets angry, comes back, kills more of the villagers. So then he has to go out and find the troll's mother. He engages in a struggle, a bit of a battle. He's wounded and dies. But the, the, what we do is we become focused on the story, but it's not the story, it's the representation of the story. Mm. And like I said, I'm a big fan I, of- I'm hearing light and dark forces there. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. I'm a big, uh, a big fan of Carl Jung. And a lot of these narratives were representation of- the maturity of our psyche and the lifelong it's called the hero's journey mm -hmm. so essentially as all as individuals in order to reach a place of psychological maturity we have to do battle with the darker aspects of our own character we overcome our troll our dragon whatever it is and then we break down the false self and reassimilate it back into our character and that is the essence of psychological maturity so the beowulf it's representation of a man's struggle to become his true self that's why i picked it and i love that yeah so it's kind of i mean you know it's kind of so i follow a lot of conservative media i always think the problem with it is a lot of it is american and it's good but i think as a culture the british i think we come at it from a different slant yeah we do we have a different take on life yeah we do so i wanted to create something that was kind of 
maybe right of centre, but I have kind of some left of centre views. I'm just kind of there around the centre and just in, uh, you know just interviewing different people who I think are interesting, like yourself, like a whole host of other people. Um, a bit of a Joe Rogan esque yeah. podcast. Yeah. But then I might do monologues as well, where if there's something on my mind, I just go on a, a tangent and just yeah. Yeah, that's what I might do. That's really cool, man. Yeah. And when's that launching? So it's already live, but uh, we haven't done a first show yet. But within the next few weeks, I'm okay. just in the process of moving house. Okay. So that's what's <laughs> holding me back. But once that's done, we're going to be away with it. So I'm yeah. going to be dividing my time between that and running the business. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And they and they fulfil different needs. I think. Mm. How old is your son? He's twelve. Okay. He's twelve. Interesting age then. So he's... yeah, he's growing up fast. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think without you know pointing the finger because i don't think it's useful but i think my childhood and my trajectory largely impacted the way i am with him mm -hmm. so um i had an opportunity to go and work in america and for a number of reasons that didn't work but the main reason was because i wouldn't wasn't prepared to kind of just abandon him and i made that clear because i just wasn't something i was going to do so in the end that didn't work out and then when i look back on it um seeing how much he, a boy really needs their dad around and know things happen for a reason and God's plan is always better. So when I look back, I'm glad everything worked out the way it did. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's really, I love that. You know, we, 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 it's when we... Tony Robbins says that it's in our mo moments of decision that our destiny is formed. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a lot more to it than that, because if you are a spiritual person, you will realise that that God. And even if you look just just for, for, for neutrality here, whatever your beliefs may be, you may be spiritually connected. You may believe in God. You may believe in the universe. You may believe in angels. You may believe in something else. You may believe in nothing at all. But let me encourage you listeners to open your mind and think about experiences in your life where you have made a decision, but whilst you're making that decision, your intuition, your gut, whatever you want to call it, has guided you. Let me encourage you to think about the fact that actually, whilst it is ourselves guiding us and being in tune with that intuition is really important. I believe, and this is my personal belief, that there is a greater power that is also steering us in that moment of decision. I totally agree. Couldn't agree more. I always say there's no right or wrong. There's just what's right for you. Absolutely. The ancient Greeks would call it the inner daemon. And it was the guiding force, the guiding principle that would steer you through the obstacles of life. As Christians, we call it the Holy Spirit. You can call it whatever you want, but it's really paying attention to that inner voice when you get quiet and you just listen, okay, what is the next right move for me to make? And I think it's very important because... The world we live in, it's noisy, isn't it? Very noisy. It's noisy. It's uh, telling you, do this, do that, do this. I think ultimately, and I say this to my son, everything you need, you already have within yeah, you already. love that. Love that. Tell him, everything you've got, you need, you have it. And I think it's coming into, uh, tuning into that sometimes and just letting that guide you along. Mm, that's beautiful, Nathan. <laughs> So, um, where can we find you? Um, so, if you've uh, if you hurt your knee or anything, you can find me at the physio box. Uh, where I'll be there. <laughs> the um, business is called the, the physio, the physio box. box. Yeah, I, you know, I'm working uh, as an independent practitioner in Altrincham, Cheshire. So, 
um, you can find me there. But then the Beowulf podcast, if you want something more sort of like um, philosophical, spiritual, even political, that's where you can find where I'll be online soon. And I'm going to be on YouTube and on Rumble. The Physio Box podcast is just on YouTube. Okay. So any okay. of those ones. Yeah. And for keynotes, people? Yeah, just get in touch. Yeah. And I'm happy to speak on... Um, yeah, can't say I'm an expert, but I'll give my opinion nonetheless. <laughs> it's been it's been great meeting you. It's been yeah. great having this session with you. Yeah. I think you and I, I know you and I, yeah. are going to spend a lot of time outside this, this studio together and become good friends. I feel very privileged to be in the room with you. Likewise. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And it's been, I feel like, it is, you know, we've just had a chat, basically. You, you know, I've enjoyed it. Good. That's what it's all about. I think you'll agree that was quite a story. Join me again for next week's episode of Ian Beaton's So What's Your Story? If you enjoyed this episode, it meant something to you, or maybe you think a friend or a loved one might like to listen to it too, go ahead and share it with them. Remember, if you have a story you'd like to share, or perhaps you know someone who does, I invite you to join me on my podcast. I can be contacted by email, web, or social. Thank you. You've just listened to So What's Your Story?